Welcome to the Digital Missions Podcast, where we're raising up 1,000 digital billygrams to take Christ to culture. This podcast is in partnership with Think Eternity, the Digital Missions Collective, and the Minister's Initiative. To find out more, visit digitalmissions.co or the miagency.com. Well, I am so excited about the kickoff episode of the Digital Missions Podcast. In fact, we delayed the launch of the podcast just so we could record this episode and let it be the very first one. For those that don't know, my name is John Layton Groves, and my father and I are actually named after an evangelist by the name of Layton Ford. He is the late evangelist Billy Graham's brother-in-law, but he is an incredible preacher, leader, and author in his own right. And the wisdom that he's going to pour out on us today is absolutely incredible and awesome. Having the opportunity to have a Zoom call with him was a bucket list item. It's a dream come true. And while this episode is going to go a little bit longer than a normal episode would, you're going to love every second of it. There'll be some little delays in there, but don't worry. It's just an internet connection. You are going to love all of the incredible insights that Leighton Ford has for us today. So without any further ado, let's hear from Leighton. Well, I am glad to be connected to San Antonio today. We pray that uh, the scripture this morning from the pray as you go, which I use each day, was from Jesus casting out the, the demons. People say, how did he do that? And then uh, that's it. All the follow through from that. So we pray God's power will be present in you there. What? How do you do evangelism, John? Well, are you a preacher, a preaching evangelism? Yes, sir. Um, both preaching in churches and events. And then one of the, the newer areas is the focus of this podcast we're recording for, which is digital evangelism, helping equip younger, what we're calling digital Billy Grahams, to share their faith online. I love that. B- digital Billy Grahams. How many, how many Billy Grahams are there digitally? Well, I thought there was only one. <laughs> there, there's only one Billy Graham, but we are, are working on equipping and in 2020 raising up 1,000 what we're calling digital missionaries or digital Billy Grahams, uh, young people, teenagers, to share their faith on social media. Well, I've got uh, one in the wings. My granddaughter, Annabelle, she was just at the Passion Conference in Atlanta. Access so on fire for the Lord. So she's going to go off to college next year. Maybe in her way, she'll be one of them. That knows. is fantastic. Well, Mr. Layton, I just wanted to say thank you no, so much. It's, it's, just, it's Layton. My last name is Ford. First name is Layton. Do I understand you have a Layton in your name? I, I do. My name is John Layton Groves. Layton is my middle name, and I'm actually named after you. No. Yes. It, not really. Can't be. I, I'm a fourth-generation preacher's kid, but my grandfather – uh, who named my father and me was a he loved reading your your uh, your sermons and especially using your sermon illustrations. And so really? when my dad and when I was born, he named us after you. 
And so it is just a, ple a pleasure. It's an honor to get to speak with you today. I'm so excited about this. Well, I'm excited too. Really, that's, that's an honor. I have a, I have a late granddaughter, by the way. Wow. I'm the, yeah, I, I don't know whether you know, my full name is Leighton Frederick Sanders McCray, Peter Morgan, and Happy Ford. That's quite a bit so of initials. That's because I was adopted. And that's my birth name and my adopted name. And my adopted Leighton was because my, I grew up in Canada, and Leighton was the first ambassador from Canada to the United States, Leighton McCarthy. That's where wow. my mother got that name. So I'm an ambassador for Jesus, and so are you. I'm, well, nice to meet it is John great Lee. to meet you. So just a, a couple months ago now, I read uh, your book, A Life of Listening, which was fantastic. And so many facets of your story were so similar to mine as far as growing up. I wasn't adopted, but went through quite a bit of family things growing up. But one of the things that was really compelling to me was that you talked about how just about every area of life revolves around the ability to listen. And I'm wondering, could you explain to us what listening really involves? Is it just hearing or is it more than that? Are we recording now, by the way? Are we yes. live? Yes, sir. Okay. We are. Okay. Okay, good. Uh, I'm listening to you, see? Um, someone says we don't just listen, we are listenings. Uh, when you think about it, uh, God is the great word. The word is God, the word was with God. In the beginning, the word of God created everything. God called by his word things into being. Creation heard his voice. The creatures heard his voice. And he spoke to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. So what is it to have a to be a soul, a living soul, really, except these bodies of ours are made so not only our ears can listen, but our minds can listen, our souls can listen deeply within to the voice of uh, all the voices around us. My thesis in that book that you've read, as you've picked up, is that all of the many voices we hear in our lives, like your voices in your family and my family and the others, there are voices that shape us, voices that misshape us. But as we hear the voice of the great shepherd, uh, we find our own voice. Who, you're not to be Leighton Ford, you're to be John Leighton Groves. I'm not to be Billy Graham, I'm to be who God has made me to be. So uh, the capacity to listen is a, and to listen with understanding, I think is a, is a great mark of what it means to be human. Problem is we're so deaf today on one hand to what really matters because of all the cheap stuff there's around. Um, but also we're so distracted by the sounds around us that we're, we're surrounded by sound all the time. I, I heard an interesting um, interview on the NPR not long ago about a man who has studied silence. And he said, the, uh, he's a scientist, and he's, he's recorded where are the silent places. He said the only place in North America that he could find that was truly silent was at the heart of the Olympic Peninsula off of uh, the state of Washington. In the heart of that forest, he said, the only place there was true silence. Silence can be very scary, too, but it's something I think is very important to hear that still, small voice of God. Well, that's sort of a long answer, but that's, that's what I'm kind of thinking right now. I love that. 
you talk in your book about uh, Olive and how God used her to equip you with the discernment to see the difference between someone else's expectations and what God was really saying. And you just mentioned we're surrounded by so much noise, even in today's age with podcasts and social media and news media, how do we differentiate between a good idea or someone else's idea and God's genuine voice to us and for us? How do we tell the difference? A man who uh, I greatly respected had a quite a powerful inner city ministry in Atlanta. And I remember he said to a group of us one time, uh, there's a difference between the, the, the busyness of the bright idea that's blown away with the chaff of Monday morning's busyness and the, and the true voice of what we're called to, which goes deep, deep, deep into the human soul and takes attention. We're so often distracted, even those of us in ministry, distracted by the many demands, the many opportunities, the things to think about, that uh, it's so important to listen to that one true voice. Again, the shepherd Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and recognize me. Now, it's not easy oftentimes to discern that. In my case, what you're referring to um, is my, the mother who adopted me and called me Leighton, Leighton Frederick Sanders and all the rest of those names. Uh, she was a little lady, less than five feet tall. I didn't know I was adopted until I was 12, and I was by that time I was over six feet, so I should have figured out there was some difference between us and genetically. Uh, but she taught me to listen to the Word of God. She taught me the Scriptures when I was just a boy, taught me to memorize them. She would pray. I can still remember a place in our house where there was a little kneeling bench. She'd pray and have me pray after her. She'd take me to hear teachers and preachers who were outstanding and listen, that's a man of God. All of that was good. That was important. At the same time, uh, she was a very troubled person, John. Uh, she, she had some great phobias, some great fears. She actually left home when I was 14 for months because of these fears. Uh, but she had a plan for me uh, as to what she thought my life ought to be. And the time had to come when I was grateful for what I learned from her, but realized that her plan might not necessarily be God's plan. In fact, Billy Graham helped me on this. I, I'd uh, gone to Wheaton College, which we, he'd gone to study for the ministry, and met my wife to be, who was, as you know, Billy's sister. And we were in love and wanted to get married. And, and my, my mother said, can't do it, can't do it. Don't get married, you'll spoil your life. And I remember talking to Billy and he said, the time has to come and you have to be your own man. Make, don't make those decisions which doesn't mean I didn't respect my mother, but I realized that there are many voices that can pull at us, but to be truly who God has called us to be. Uh, there was a rabbi, Rabbi Zusma, years ago, who said, God has not called, God's not going to say to me someday, why were you not Moses? Hmm. He might say, why were you not Zusma? God's not going to say to me, why were you not Billy Graham? Was that true who God had called me to be? Same with you, not who your father was, but who God has called John Groves to be. And that, uh, that doesn't come easily many times. It takes discernment, time, waiting, uh, listening, sometimes trying different things, and then finding what it is that God has made us to be. We got a little ding going on there. Hope it doesn't bother anything. Oh, that'll be all right. You 
you mentioned that in order to be honest, that we have to face doubts. But in your book, you differentiated between two different two doubts. One was an intellectual testing and then self-aggrandizing refusal to accept the uncomfortable. And that I said that you did. I, said wrote all that. <laughs> I hope I forget what I wrote many times. Well, it was it was so good and that struck me because as I'm doing my best to minister, especially to the up and coming generation, I'm seeing that there is a difference between doubt and denial. And I'm wondering how do you confront denial when it's someone who's saying I'm doubting God, but what it truly is, is a, uh, a refusal to accept the uncomfortable. How do you minister to that without being hateful? I suppose. I have, uh, uh, a lot of that today because of in your generation and my generation too, John, I, um, God cannot live our doubts and our denials. He is God. My my doubts, and I've been had doubts about myself, my capacity to serve Him. I've had as a one who studied philosophy. I've had doubts. How can we be sure of anything? Uh, and I've come through that oftentimes through some dark times because of Jesus Christ has been faithful to me in that. So I understand that, but. Uh, that my doubt doesn't uh, doesn't stop God's work. Um, I have a friend here in Charlotte who is a lawyer, civil rights lawyer, and uh, he said that Billy Graham saved him three times growing up, growing up, but he got away from it and said he doesn't believe anymore. Uh, we've become we've been friends. Uh, we've been in a book club together, reading all kinds of different things. And I remember he said to me one time, uh, Leighton. He said, if we were in Iraq and you were a chaplain and I got wounded and I was dying, what would you say to me? And I said, first name, I said, I'd say, I don't want to be in heaven without you. I love you. I care for you, my friend, even with your doubts. I don't want to be there without you. Now, how much difference that's made to him so far, I don't know. But I do know that when his wife was dying of cancer, he wanted me to come by the house and he'd be very respectful when I prayed. So uh, I still pray for him. Now, my, my birth father that I met years ago, was a bit, I, I'm pretty sure he was an atheist. And he, was, he would respect my ministry. And I prayed for him, but he wouldn't talk about it. And uh, he wouldn't get, he never, as far as I know, as far as I know, he didn't give his life to the Lord, even though he had some family background. So I, I, hurt, I hurt for him. I think the only answer is to be is to pray God will give us an ongoing love for these people who are still in the middle of their denial that the time may come. I, I, just before you and I started talking, Tim was here with me, was telling me about a couple he's known for years, friends that socialized together. They're not interested in the Lord at all. Uh, the wife has, has just entered hospice for cancer today. But in the in the midst of that suffering they've been through, they have they said we have found the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. So Tim was faithful to be a friend to them, even through those times of doubt, and God used that. So keep on loving, keep on praying, be honest about your own doubts and fears. I think people we don't, you know, Jesus is the truth. That doesn't mean I'm the truth. I've got a lot of 
things about my life that I need to look at. I, not everything is perfect in my life. Uh, there's the darkness too. I think people need to know that to be a Christian doesn't mean you don't have doubts, but you, there's one who is the truth that we're following. I believe there are a lot of young people and I don't believe there's really an age delineator. There are just a lot of people who have a desire to participate in the great commission yet think that they're disqualified because they experience doubt. I, I love that you confront that and say, it's okay to be a Christian and to doubt. Well, it, it is. And, and, uh, I would, you know, I, I pray too. We have a grandson who is searching. He does not sure sure what he believes now. So I'd appreciate your, your prayers for him. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if evangelism and your, your brother-in-law believed this, you have written about this extensively, not just in the life of listening, but also in your book, the Christian persuader. If, evangelism is a calling for every believer, for the whole church to embody the whole gospel to the whole world. You, you emphasize that clearly. What does it mean to embody the whole gospel? Because you talk about the whole gospel. What is the whole gospel? It's that God loves the whole world. He made it all as uh, the great gospel singer, uh, used to sing in Billy's Crusades, he got the whole world in his hands. He made it all. So God's purpose is not just that John and Leighton will be saved personally and go to heaven. It's for the redemption of all creation. So Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that creation is groaning. We see that today, don't we? In the war, the conflict, the illnesses, the hunger, the great social problems of our world. No wonder I see your generation of people, the kids you work with, uh, where do they look for hope today? The, the God's purpose is to create. It's a, the great. The end of the story, Revelation, is the city of God coming down to the new heavens and the new earth. So we're at, uh, the whole gospel is is not just our souls going to heaven. God wants to redeem our minds, our bodies, all who we are, our relationships, uh, our communities, and the whole world. And I, I may have a small part to play in that, but it's part of a great whole. You know, uh, Paul talked about this wonderful thing in, in Colossians, the great grandeur of God, who was a Christ who holds all things together. So, uh, so I think sometimes we thought of evangelism as sort of a transaction. Say a prayer, God will take you to heaven one at a time. Well, thank God it's personal, but it doesn't end there. It's also his purpose of all of creation. He's a great God with a great plan, and, and my little life is a part of something far bigger than myself. And your ministry, as extensive as it may or may not be, is part of, a, of what God is going to do in, in this whole plan for all of creation. My goodness, someday we'll look in awe beyond the stars with all creatures. That's something to live for, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, go, and going back to what you were saying about your generation, as someone has said, a lot of people belonging comes before believing. I think to be part of a community is something that can lead people to have those doubts, to love those who have their problems, whatever it may be in their sexual life, their intellectual life, to be part of something where they can belong just as they are, just as I am, the hymn goes. So we need to love people like that. My definition of evangelism, I'm talking a lot. I hope you don't mind. No, I'm You're asking it. good questions. 
you're asking good questions. Um, I came across a translation of Second Corinthians 5 some years ago where it says, we're ambassadors for Christ. God is in Christ reconciled the world to himself and he's given us that task. Uh, I think it's today's English version that translates that. God has changed us from enemies into friends and given us the task of making others his friends also. And I would say that when I go to a city for one of our crusades, they'd report and say, what is an evangelist? Hey, it's making friends for God. How about that? God has changed us from enemies to friends through the cross. And he's making and that we make others his friends also. That puts it in a very different way. So it's not just from the platform. You know, my, my daughter, Debbie, went through a serious breast cancer twice. And at her second uh, time that she had that, she was at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. And her Uncle Billy was there at the same time. And she was going for a treatment. She didn't know he was there. And she, suddenly, there he was waiting for her in a wheelchair. And she ran to him, put his arms around her, hugged her. They cried together. And later on, she said, Uncle Billy, as far as I'm concerned, that's the best sermon you ever preached. It wasn't you on a platform and me on the floor. It was you in a wheelchair, me and my need. So you don't have to be a, an evangelist on a platform to love people as they are. I, it, that is absolutely incredible because not every human is called to be a vocational evangelist like you and your brother-in-law, but we are all called to evangelize. So to the young person who may have an extensive social media following or only a few who may have a big amount of influence with a lot of people or only have a few friends, where do we start in evangelism in the sharing and embodying the gospel without being what people perceive Christians to be the street preachers that are just shouting, but no one is listening. How do we communicate the gospel in the best possible way? I met mother Teresa once in India who cared for the dying people. I said, how do you keep going? She said, we do our work for Jesus, with Jesus, to Jesus. And she said, we can't do great things. We can do small things with great love. And sometimes I think that is simply, what is the small thing I can do now with someone else? Not because I have an agenda for them, not because I'm trying to preach to them, but because God loves them. And that's whether it's a preacher on a platform or the person sitting next in the classroom or watching, you know, a sports game together to care for that. God uses that if, because if it's Christ loving in us through us of the Holy spirit, that's Christ's love that we're extending. And Jesus spoke to the great crowds, but he, what did he do? He touched the person who was the next person at the next corner. Hmm. So I have to believe, put me where I am here, you there in San Antonio, whoever, so your friends are listening where they are. Uh, because we're hands and feet and ears to listen, eyes to see Christ through us. Maybe some of us will have a more prominent role, but uh, you know, the 99% uh, of the Christians in this world will never preach a sermon on a platform. So the world's going to be touched. It's not going to be through the 1%, not just through the Johns or the Laytons who preach or can do a podcast. It's going to start be the 99% who do it just through their, those acts of love. And then when God opens up the way to say a word about Jesus, hey, he's your friend. 
tell about him. Wow. Your best friend. I'd like you to meet my best friend. I can think of someone right now. My goodness, I'd like you to meet her. She's wonderful. I'd like you to meet him. Anyway. The, I don't know. It's, I know it's that we all have our, I have my reservations. I sometimes I think, well, I don't want to talk to someone because I say, well, you're just another preacher. But we, I, you, in a sense, you earn the right to be heard, but it's already been earned by the love of Christ who died for us. So hmm. anyway, why are you an evangelist? Just because you were born into a family with, of evangelists? No, why sir. Are you, why are you that right now? I... I, I grew up around it and uh, I, I didn't grow up around a, a great version of it. I grew up around the legalistic um, guilt people into doing something version of it. But as a, a teenager, uh, the Holy Spirit started calling me into this type of a vocational ministry and it certainly hasn't isn't easy but it's so worth it to get to share the gospel and help equip churches and believers as a whole to share the gospel in their context i may get to be on more platforms but my favorite part is getting to be in the small rooms with people and maybe helping teach them how to do that in their, their workplace or in their school, or like we're doing here on this podcast, hopefully equipping people to share faith everywhere, online included. Well, if I can help you in any way to encourage you, just count on me. I'd like to do it because that's my, that's my calling right now. I've had the privilege of seeking to make Christ known across the years, and uh, I want to do it through you. So I'll pray for you and hope I can encourage you. Thank you so much. I have one last question for you for the podcast um, because I, I believe God has specifically equipped you to speak to this. Uh, I know you didn't grow up in a world of social media, but there's a generation today um, that ties their identity to what they would call their platform how many people follow them on a certain social media application. You were serving and, and ministering on some really large physical platforms, and then God started redirecting you. And you talk about battling insecurity in your identity and gaining victory there. So to the young person who is trying to discover what is their identity personally and in Christ. Could you encourage them and help us see how our, our person is not tied to our platform in any way? Well, let me tell you a story that you, you probably read in the book. Um, I've been doing evangelism on a large scale or in a small scale, not all big meetings. I remember going to places where no one showed up. <laughs> I remember some big places too. But I was, uh, I was going to Tulsa, Oklahoma years ago, and for some reason, I just got terribly d discouraged uh, before our crusades, we called them, they ever started. I think it was actually going through some depression. I felt nothing I'd said would really touch anybody or reach anybody. And uh, I told the guys that were working with me, pray for me. And it's not that I doubted the message then, it was more I doubted 
myself. And I had to go to the university one day to speak at a bank when there was a lot of uh, upheavals at the university, and I was really kind of petrified and scared about going. And I can remember being in my room that and saying, God, I don't think I can go out there and uh, speak. I don't know whether there'll be a lot of uh, criticism and assault even. And uh, the words that God said to Abraham came to me uh, from Genesis chapter 12. I hadn't been reading it. This came to my mind. They were stored there. For God said to Abraham, I'm your shield and I'm your great reward. And as if the Lord said, Leighton, I'll protect you. You go out and do what I've called you to do. But also, I'm your reward. And John, I realized then, well, I guess it was then, or certainly in the days after that, because of this dark period went on for a while. Uh, I've been speaking since I was 16. I won a speaking contest when I was 16. I started preaching when I was 17. And I've been preaching all these years. And I've been on the radio with Billy Graham and all of that. And uh, if I couldn't do that anymore, who was I? That was taken away from me. And as if the Lord said, hey, Leighton, you matter to me, not because you can speak or preach or you're an evangelist. You're my son, and I love you just as you are. And for me, that was, uh, it took a while for all that to really be absorbed into my heart, John. But I realized that I mattered to God, not just because of what I could do for him, because I was his child, I was his son. So that was, uh, there have been other times like that, but. I would say that has been very important. And, and honestly, as thrilling as it was sometimes to preach to great crowds, like in Manchester, England, 35,000 people, Billy Graham was sick and I got to preach there for a week. That was wonderful. And, and God used that. But now in these re recent years, I don't travel as much uh, or speak that, that much, but to be able to talk to one person, to get to know them personally in a sense, uh, the beauty of Christ in them, that, that's also very fulfilling. To talk to you face-to-face -face is, uh, right now, just as enjoyable for me as to speak to a thousand people. Wow. I like it. Definitely I like it like you. Me. I get, well, I get to know you. I get to see you better. I know something about, I can see the uniqueness God has put within you. We need to be able to see each other that way. Yes, sir. What is God teaching you right now? To listen to John. What word do you have for me at this point? Hey, I'm 88 years old, and God's given me strength. What would you say to me as an older brother, older Christian? I would say thank you for being consistent and faithful, and thank you for prioritizing being a spiritual father or mentor or leader to as many people as you could. Thank you for being about quality over quantity. And my prayer for you is that you're able to stay fruitful in that for many more years to come. I appreciate your influence in my life greatly. And I know you've influenced millions of people, but thank you for not making it about the number. Thank you for making it about the Lord. Well, in my word, thank you for that. I, I hope to go to 100, but we'll see, maybe more. Uh, our son, Sandy, who I dearly loved, was a Leighton Ford Jr. I died during heart surgery, as you know, when he was 21. And uh, I miss him very much. It was a huge loss. I wish, wish we still had him. But he had a great heart for God. 
and I wrote a book about him, Sandy, A Heart for God. So I would just pray for you. May you have a heart for the Lord and listen to him. Well, I'm not sure that anyone alive today knows more about listening to the Lord than evangelist Leighton Ford. And if you haven't yet, you must read his book, A Life of Listening. You can find that resource and more by visiting his website, LeightonFordMinistries.org. Thanks again for listening to this kickoff episode of the Digital Missions Podcast. At the Digital Missions Collective, we're raising up 1,000 digital Billy Grahams to take Christ to culture, and we'd love for you and your church to be a part. Visit us online at digitalmissions.co.